Welcome to PwC's Tax Reform Readiness Podcast Series. This podcast is an excerpt from PwC's Tax Reform Readiness Webcast Series, held on July 11, 2018, focusing on transforming your transfer pricing strategy in a post-tax reform world. The panelists for the webcast were Paige Hill, a PwC tax partner and our U.S. transfer pricing practice leader, David Ernick, a PwC tax partner focusing on transfer pricing issues, Chris Desmond, a PwC tax partner focusing on value chain transformation, and Quinn Wynn, a PwC tax partner focusing on international tax issues. This excerpt consists of a general discussion among the panelists on transfer pricing considerations post-tax reform, specifically focusing on IP planning. Have a listen. So from an IP planning perspective, uh, this is again where companies are trying to take a fresh look, but also they have perhaps some um, either business events or some structures that they're challenged with of where their IP is at now and they're going to perhaps need to move it. And the thought is, where do you bring it and, and where should it be? And companies are evaluating whether or not they should be bringing it back to the U.S. because now there's incentives to do that, many incentives, but you know, is that where you want to bring it? Or perhaps you want to onshore to another location where you have a lot of um, substance or subcon. And it kind of goes back to even talking a little bit about the country by country information because that is a great map to illustrate where you do have a lot of substance already and you want to align your IP with substance but also think about the tax impact that's gonna have. So it's really just thinking through and also as you dissect your IP, what are the DEMPI functions? What are those high value uh, generating functions? Where do they reside now? And is that aligned with where your IP is at and evaluating that in context of your overall structure? Yeah, and just to highlight some of the points and the focus on DEMPI functions and where your people are located, Chris, I think that's tremendously important now. So when I look at the substantive transfer pricing changes from the OECD, all about DEMPI functions, mm -hmm. substance in terms of where your people functions are. That's reinforced, as you said, by country-by-country country reporting, which is all about which people do you have and which jurisdiction to support the profit allocations there. But it's not just limited to the transfer pricing world. And some things that I think people may have missed, when I look at something like the new multilateral treaty instrument and their provisions to prevent treaty shopping, all of the countries are going for this new principal purpose test. And that essentially says, you know, if I've got something like an intergroup holding company or financing company that I've put in place somewhere and I've got no people there, I'm probably not going to get treaty benefits for that. Right. I'm probably going to fall afoul of, of the PPT. That's all, all over the MLI. And then when the, even when the, the financial transactions discussion draft came out from the OECD last week, they said, well, if you're holding a, a debt instrument and you've got no people there to manage and control the risk there, you're going to get a, a risk only or at most a risk-free return on that. So that focus on DEMPI and people functions, I think, is all over the analysis now, and not just the transfer pricing perspective. It's kind of like when you're, when you're thinking about if you're sitting in the position of a tax director and you're, you're thinking about where your IP is going to be and you have to move it, let's say, you're probably going to take more of a conservative approach to make sure that the IP is aligned with all the aspects you're talking about because otherwise you're going to have potential exposures in one jurisdiction or next and you're going to have to defend this and it's not defended just by from a US perspective it's every country worldwide is going to be going after your global profits seeing what you have in place and so it's almost like taking the conservative path might be a better one I think that's exactly right
Maybe we can talk about some specific examples that we see, you know, um, that a lot of companies are facing. Sure. So here's here's an example of, of a different, you know, a structure that's there and, and really what's on the table for companies. And, and and as you think about it, and a lot of the questions are, well, what is what was Treasury thinking when they came out with uh, with guilty with FDII? And are they trying to have companies now finally onshore IP? Is that really where they're pointing things? Or do they, they want companies to bring their IP back to the U.S. and, and get that FDII benefit? And some, some people or some companies are saying, well, maybe I should bring it back to the U.S., but you still have to take into effect the true effective tax rate because it's not only what FDII is, and that's assuming you actually qualify because you still have to go uh, surpass the uh, U.S. cube IP. So some companies are going straight to a cube I, or to an FDII benefit calc, and you're like, wait a minute, you have to go through the asset piece too. But once you get there, you have to also think through the state and local uh, tax rate implications. So your effective tax rate might actually be higher. And that's where you have to ask yourself a lot of questions about where you're going. So as, as a company, you're thinking through, what are my tax attributes related to where my IP is at now and where it's going? Also, where is my company going? What are the different operational you do a lot of M&A activity. Where do we see a lot of acquisitions happening? And then where does that fit into our IP strategy long term? Um, how is my IP going to be taxed under guilty versus FDII? What are the pros and cons of each? And where is my longer term benefit? And, and also aligning that with your DEMPI functions. And it really comes down to also how long do you think FDAI is going to be around? I mean, is it going to be around for the long term or is it going to be a short term uh, opportunity? So there's some tough questions that companies and individuals are, are going to have to ask themselves when it comes to thinking through their, their IP plans. Yeah, uh, just in connection with that, in terms of like companies moving their IP back into the United States, you know, in terms of another interaction to think about, there may be benefits from an FDAI perspective, um, but you also have some potential downside when you think about the beat and to the extent you're acquiring IP, for example, the future amortization of that IP, if it's acquired from a foreign related party, now could be subject to the beat provisions. And so, you know, thinking through the effects of, again, where are you today? Where do you want to be tomorrow? But where do you also want to be the day after tomorrow in terms of the future state of, of you know, your, your operating model? And maybe some companies are also thinking, is there, instead of taking the definitive approach, is there something in between? Are my, are, do I have options where I might be moving instead of definitive IP, maybe looking through some of those high value functions? And how does that get uh, split up amongst the organization worldwide? Yeah, I agree. I think people are, are, are looking at in shorter term horizons for yeah. their planning strategies than we had traditionally, which were much longer term. So. Um, so, so, you know, we were talking a bit about valuation, David, and, and the changes from, uh, you know, to 42 and 367 will definitely put pressure on valuations as they're performed from a U.S. perspective, um, but also some of the OECD papers um, and positions on hard-to-value intangibles. You know, you'll have foreign challenge these as well. You know, how do you deal with the competing interests of, of both the U.S. and the foreign jurisdictions? I think it's difficult, Paige, primarily because there seems to be a lot of disagreement now among countries on what the transfer pricing rules really even are. Mm -hmm. So on the foreign side, from the OECD guidance now, I'm seeing a lot of requests from other countries for DEMPI functions analysis. And so as we were talking about, it's all about substance in terms of the people functions. 
That's really the standard under Article 7 for attributing profits to PEs. From a U.S. perspective, you're still much more focused on contractual allocations of risk and legal ownership of intangibles subject to economic substance requirements. So those differences in the interpretation, at least, of the rules, I think, raise the potential for a lot of double taxation. And a lot of countries also seem to be saying, well, we don't even care what the transfer pricing rules or the transfer pricing is. We think we can recharacterize this transaction into something else. We're, we're going to price a transaction that you didn't actually even enter into. I think other countries do that significantly more than the IRS, and that, that's incredibly complicated to, to deal with. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like more information about this topic, please email the participants. Their email addresses can be found in the description of this episode. Thank you. Mm-hmm.